to the Line Break Podcast, coming to you live from quarantine. I'm your host, Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my co-host, Bob Sikora. Hey there. <laughs> talking about books. <laughs> I guess we're going to be talking about books. <laughs> uh, talking about poetry. Sometimes poetry, yeah. Uh, yeah. Frequently poetry, in fact. Uh, today's topic is... The last poem you read in the decade, um, a little inside baseball here. We came up with a lot of these topics um, back in December and uh, thought we'd be recording at a little bit more of a brisk pace than we have. But uh, there's a pandemic on and we had to figure out a remote recording and not sure if we did. Uh, we'll see how this episode turns out. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, we're kind of uh, uh, this is this is new territory for us. Um, but uh, so so please bear with us. And yeah, Bob, how's uh, quarantine treating you? You know, fairly well, all things considered. Um, you know, uh, feeling super grateful to have work. Um, to be safe. So far, the family's been good. Uh, I'm certainly on kind of the side where uh, um, I have simultaneously, it feels like more time and less time. The work is so hard and weird, Um, you know, and just being kind of cooped up is every day is a different emotion, (laughs) really. Yeah. Um, Feeling all right. I feel you on that for sure. Um, Yeah. We were talking the other day about, how uh, my wife and I were talking, uh, right. how we don't know anyone with COVID, um, right. which is an extremely fortunate and privileged position to be in. My brother's boyfriend is actually a doctor and he has been doing shifts in the COVID unit. Right. Um, and his roommate uh, has been doing shifts in the COVID unit. And somehow all three of them wow. have uh, stayed safe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, we're relatively in a lucky position right exactly I mean, i'd say similarly i feel like uh you know can spread out my network enough to say like oh i know this person or know this person who's family member or whatever um it feels like it's starting to hit closer to home it was so abstract for a while um yeah. but yeah similarly yeah i feel so lucky um you know, it, it kind of one of the big concerns for me was my grandmother and my cousin moved in with her like a month before this and like oh, that's made everyone's life like way like less kind of panicked about it because he can take care of everything and he's not like leaving the house a bunch and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. Whew. yeah. Um, well, that's, you know, all relatively good to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you say that quarantine or the 2010s as a decade treated you better? <laughs> because today's topic is the last poem you read in the decade and it was not a great decade so which one was better the decade or quarantine so far right um i mean i certainly have my share of complaints uh but just as you ask it and with a little bit of space i can certainly say like i had a a pretty okay decade, personally. Sure. Yeah, the, the world, oof. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, in my life, but, I mean, really, it's, it's, you know, that decade lines up with my post-college 20s for the most part, you know, and that's, uh, 
a hard period for a lot of people, for sure. <laughs> a lot of people in my life. And, and I, I did pretty okay, mostly by avoiding real life and going to grad school. A couple times. There you go. Yeah. Get a couple of degrees and you can yeah. save the decades of success. Right. Right. Uh, whereas, uh, 2020, I think I, I definitely, I'm pretty good at the like new year's. I'm going to go for it. Like, let's go. And you know, mm-hmm. that last a couple of weeks. Um, but this, you know, this happened and swept, you know, any of that momentum away. So, you know, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you on that. Yeah. It was, um, it's, it's a, it's a decade of highs and lows, strikes and gutters, you know, like I'm, I made a lot of friends, you and I became close right. friends and I got married and had a kid. So I can't say it's all bad. <laughs> um, but you know, it wasn't, um, if I'm ranking the decades of my life, I don't, maybe it tops the list. The whole getting married and having a kid thing really, right. really puts it over the top. But it could have gone better, let's say. Uh, and I yeah. think a lot of people our age were both in an undisclosed range of 30s. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people our, our age could say that. Right. Absolutely. I would certainly say, uh, I mean, uh, the decade before that, uh, for both of us, in co- has a high school and undergrad in it, and that's a that's a mixed bag there. So. That is a mixed bag. <laughs> I want to get started on the last poem that you read, but um, first, do you? My answer to this question is very imprecise, but do you remember <laughs> the first poem you read of the 2020s? Oh, you should have told me you were going to ask this. I'm going to pull I out, literally just thought of it. <laughs> I'm going to pull out my 2019 journal because I've started this practice of, in the back of my journal, writing down all the books that I read for the year. I've tried okay. to be a Goodreads person. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, like, yeah, I guess I, I keep pretty much all my books, so I have them on the shelf or whatever. But just to give me a little bit more. This is the first year that I su- successfully did it. Um, in the beginning of the year, I don't know which book I read first. Um but I was reading uh, Ada Limon's The Carrying and Terrence Hayes' American Sonnets from a Past and Future Assassin. And I was like okay. deeply, deeply into that Terrence Hayes book at the beginning of the year. That like, woof, it's incredible. And just like so much energy in the language. Um, so I, I feel like that's probably what I was reading around January 1st-ish. Definitely were like both books I got for Christmas. Sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, yeah. And you're, you're imprecise here. Yeah. Um, I'm now trying to I guess look I was the... pretty imprecise there, too. I don't, don't oh, no. This <laughs> is a last-minute question. You know, whatever I was reading in January was probably related to my um, course list for the semester because that was my last semester of college. But I remember 2010 being really into the book Rain by John Woodward. It's like a quasi novel in verse that's um, uh, really awesome. It uses a, like a, uh, if I remember correctly, it's a five syllables per line, five lines per stanza, and three stanzas per poem. And that's the format for the whole book. And it's like a novel in verse. It's super dope. And then um, Matthew Rohrer's chapbook, They All Seem to Sleep, which is a, another long poem. I remember that summer being kind of defined by those two books. I was just like super into them. I would like, they both fit in a pocket. So I'd like Ugh. put the book in my pocket. I was that guy and go 
walk by the lake and just read those books over and over and over again. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm one excited about you're, you're revealing yourself and your, your penchant for, um, the long poem for, for a lot of narrative in there. I'm, I'm really curious formally about that, but I'm, I'm, I'm also like the thing that I have to go straight to is just clarification. You're saying these were the poems you were reading at the beginning of the 2010s. Um, that's just, those are the poems. Well, the, the beginning of the 2010s remember. was whatever was on the syllabus that year, okay. but these were the sure. the two books of poetry that I, just, I associate most closely with 2010. Does that make sense? Okay, because I misheard your question. I went I went to the first poem poetry books I was reading in 2019, just a year ago. I oh. can't go back that far. Oh man! <laughs> was, you brought up Ada Limon, and I was like, oh, she was writing back in 2010. You know, it definitely was. I was. I don't know how many of her books. Like maybe one book published, but like. I certainly wasn't privy to her. My 2010 reading of poems probably would have been deeply informed. I mean, one, uh, our workshop with my workshop with Josh was like some of the first contemporary poetry that I was reading as an adult. Um, but then also thrown in 2010, I was teaching high school. So like, Oh yeah. I don't know why. That was was my first year of teaching. I was, you know, who knows what I was reading. (laughs) It was whatever I needed to be able to teach the next day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So, Bob, you have a poem? You're going to make me go first? I always like to make you go first. You I feel like I talk too much at the top, so you have to go first. All right. Fair enough. I, and I think you probably have the same answer for the question. I, I'm not good enough to know this was the last poem I read for the year. Um, oh, 100%. <laughs> but um, I, 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 did um, mark down the last collection that I'd read for the year. And I, I, literally the exact same experience of this was a Christmas gift, um, uh, Ilya Kaminsky's um, Deaf Republic. Um, and I I think I think it had come out in like January of the year before. Okay. Um, and, you know, I sat through the entire year, one of hype before the book came out and then people tweeting about it, people loving it. Um, definitely, I don't have the stickers on this version, but up for major awards. Um, one of those things where I was like, I know this is a thing. Um, and then you finally get the book. Um, and despite being, um, really heavy subject matter, it was just like a delight to read. Oh, nice. That's a good feeling when it's every bit as good as it's hyped up to be. Right. Absolutely. So I, I have this memory of um, end of the year coming back home from, I spent some time with my family for Christmas um, and my roommate must've been out of town where he was with his family pretty much through new year's Eve, I think. So I had like a number of nights to myself at home and like dark, quiet, cold as hell and uh, reading this book. Um, so getting to the poem um, it's called to live. To live is to love, the great book commands. But love is not enough. The heart needs a little foolishness. For our child, I fold the newspaper, make a hat, and pretend to Sonia that I am the greatest poet, and she pretends to be alive. My Sonia, her stories and her eloquent legs, her legs and stories that open other stories, Stop talking while we are kissing. I see myself. 
a yellow raincoat, a sandwich, a piece of tomato between my teeth. I hoist our infant Anushka to the sky. Old fool, my wife might have laughed. I am singing as she pisses on my forehead and my shoulders. Yeah, this is a delightful book, <laughs> or uh, poem, rather. There's just so many little gems. Um, it One thing that stuck out to me, uh, parenting-wise, the stop talking while we're kissing. Um, <laughs> our son uh, does this, who's 21 months, does this adorable thing where if he's sitting in his high chair and my wife and I happen to like put an arm around each other or a hug or something like that, he like reaches his arms out and like demands <laughs> that we go hug him. And it's, it's just, the, just the best thing. Um, and this, this poem made me think of that. There's so many great little turns like to live is to love the great book commends, but love is not enough. The yeah. heart needs a little foolishness. Like what a, what a great opening couple of lines. Right. Um, yeah. Now you said the book deals with some heavy subject matter and it talks about Sonia pretending to be alive. So I have some questions I'm not sure I want answered, <laughs> but, <laughs> but just reading this poem um, made me think warmly of parenting. Right. Uh, and I, I kind of, I was, I was thinking about that as I was, as I was, rereading it um in anticipation um was yeah i was like oh this this hits at, at, at stuff for you um that i don't have the experience with um but uh the book i was i was hesitant on what to choose because the book um as a collection is very narrative um and and like it has um the the big you know almost a meme of a poem um, is the first one, um, what is it called? Um, we lived happily during the war and that got like a lot of attention. Oh yeah. I've heard that one. Right. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know this poem. And so it starts with that. And then it has, um, a collection of characters, like a, literally a page of like, here are the characters in the book. Oh, like a, through a, bunch like of a play kind of does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and when it had been described to me, I had thought it was even more narrative than it is, but it, it does they are individual poems. Yeah. And so I, I, th- I thought this gave enough context, but yeah, this is happening in this war-torn country. Your speaker's wife in a previous poem you have seen be killed. Um, yeah, right. Um, but that, yeah, I think throughout the collection and, and definitely in particular in this poem, it keeps pointing to moments of intimacy and joy and silliness and just like these really human things um and i think it does such a a great job that again that contrast like you said with all the turns um this contrast um between those quiet positive moments um that makes all of the awful stuff happen so much heavier and so much harder to bear and like actually forces you to to think about those things Uh, for sure and that's um i think that's one of the most I don't want to use the word like necessary. One of the one of the best things a writer can do, and also one of the hardest, right? To really focus on the joyous and the silly moments of life, and then and then you know add the drama to it, um, right? Especially as a fiction writer, like you you kind of have to like love your characters, and you just don't want anything bad to happen to them. <laughs> um, you don't want to write conflict. It's not 
It's not the fun part. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to pick up that collection. That's 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 an excellent. It's inc- uh, you've sold me on it. <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating to be like, oh, I can't. I can drop it off next time I'm over. <laughs> I can't right. be able to say that right now. Right. No. Um, yeah. You're not coming yeah. over for a little bit. <laughs> um, and and I mean, I guess just like in the you know the the moment of pandemic being quarantined. Um, Thing to reread this and obviously a, a drastically different situation um, than any sort of um, you know violent conflict um, but it is it you know um, I don't know the, the moment has me missing quiet things that I step back and think to appreciate um, sure, sure. you know and I um, I'm a sucker for a poem that uses the word piss oh yeah <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, it's such a missile of a word. Yes. Doesn't roll off the tongue very easily. There's no way to like make it sound pretty. Like, no. Yeah. yeah. He does something so. I guess yeah. Like I, just in th- thinking of other things I, ad- I admire about his work and this poem, it's it's certainly one of those efficiency of it all is admirable. Yeah. You know, one page, like you said, there's all these turns, there's all these like little moments. But I keep coming back to it. It's such a simple little thing. Um, but the the two lines, stop talking while we are kissing, which is also a, alone is an incredible, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then old fool, my, my wife might have laughed, but those are both in parentheses and how it, it draws this attention to itself of absence of a thing that's not said and the absence of the person. Um, yeah. And like what a, a smart little way to make that gesture um, to to make the space that is that happens when someone is gone very apparent yeah. on the page. It's a way of using typeset to mm-hmm. evoke a memory. Yeah, um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I guess just like thinking classic things that I know we appreciate. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah, it reminds me um, of Frank O'Hara. Um, the 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 super zoomed in kind of goofy things a yellow rain raincoat a sandwich a piece of tomato between my teeth the complete uh observation of the the mundane whatever stuff um and and pointing to it gives it some meaning certainly pointing to it in this context of of so much heaviness yeah um goddamn yeah that's great (laughs) and it 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 I don't want to be the guy who compares everything to Frank O'Hara, but uh, I think you're, I think you're spot on. We need to, we need to keep a checklist of, of how, how many episodes can we go through with until we don't mention. Frank right. <laughs> Listeners at home, take a shot. If we mention Frank O'Hara. Hey Bob, you want to hear a poem? I do. I was just going to say that there is a connective tissue, I think between what you're about to read Maybe I'll let you talk, and then we can we can talk about kind of similarities and differences. But um, I think these collections can have a conversation together if we want to. From what yeah. you're describing, I I think you're right. My poem is from E. Viewing's 1919, which came out in 2019. And I did like you. I picked the last collection I was reading and just picked a poem from it. It does blend genres or pulls from a lot of different artistic forms. There's prose poems. There are lyric poems. There are photographs. 
it uses a lot of artistic devices to tell a complete picture of the 1919 race riots in Chicago. Fittingly, with the blending genres idea, this is a haibun, which I was unfamiliar with before reading this book, <laughs> but it is a, um, a, uh, a form that blends long prose and, um, and then a short poem. Um, the, uh, the Wikipedia, um, says that the range of the high boon is broad and frequently includes autobiography, diary, essay, prose poem, short story, and travel journal, which you could kind of say this book has a little bit of all of that. Um, Highboon for July 30th. Rain on Wednesday night and Thursday drove idle people of both races into their homes. The temperature fell, and with it, the white heat of the riot. Sparrows in the elms fluffed and shook until they looked like eggs again, fat, brown, feathered eggs hidden among the boughs and crowded against one another. Just so, they curled each toe over the givingness of the narrow wood, just so as their ancestors had in a place across the ocean. They had never seen the ocean, but tonight they knew water again. Just so, they knew the right corner, the right way to lean, the right way to be, to nestle just beneath the canopy of leaves. Enough to live for now, beneath the green, but still watch it all come down before closing eyes to sleep. The tip of one branch, the place where its strength gave in to the most delicate, almost nothing, gave way to its last leaf. Its tender ribs held the rain until they could not, and it bowed and sprang back and bowed and sprang back, drop by drop. And with every small pool that let it go, the rivulets cascading over a stone cornice grew stronger spilling in their turn down to the street. Someone watches from within to see the elm dwellers in their old sodden city. After days of blood, candles in the window again, birds shake off the rain. Now I'm familiar with a bit of E. Viewing's work, and I've read pieces from this. I haven't read the whole collection. I'm so curious about this one. Um, I have ideas why you might have chosen this one, but I need to hear from you. I'm sure you do. Um, take a shot again. Chris talks <laughs> about blending uh, po- prose and poetry. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I thought it was cool. I don't. I, I've, I've you know since read up on high boons a little bit. It's a it's a jarring format just to look at. Yeah. Um, uh, having this big wall of a paragraph and then a short addendum of a poem, but I I like the idea of deliberately including the two in such a jarring way next to each other, and then artistically justifying that. 
Um, and the way this one kind of seems to work to me is it feels like there's a lot in here about going on after something happens to you. Mm. Um, you know, in the context of this collection, it's about race riots and things. So, you know, the, the sparrows are a goddamn metaphor um, to a, a sparrow, a very small, delicate bird, a giant rain shower is a bit of a disaster. But then at the end, you shake off the rain, you pick yourself back up and you, 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 you go on for black people in Chicago in 1919. These race riots were a disaster. I mean, it was just like, just all of a sudden this onslaught from violent white people. And, but, uh, those the next morning, okay. um, that kind of thing, I guess all of that is really condensed into the, uh, the little poetic part at the right. end with, after days of blood candles in the windows again, birds shake off the rain. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is, it's like you're saying this, this formal move is so interesting. It forces you to think about the relationship between what is going on with this prose and what is going on with the tiny poem part. Right. Um, and in this one, it almost seems like the poem is a little bit kind of like this summer nah, summary doesn't feel at all like the right word, but it's just like pointing you towards kind of where, um, it's gone. I felt it's it, for me again, like as we've both lived in Chicago for a while, it's crazy to me. I, I know about this historical event. I didn't know very much about it um, really until I guess, yeah, a year ago um, there were a lot of articles about the hundredth anniversary. This book came out um, and, and I pulled some of that stuff into a, a class I was teaching and we already had this unit that was about writing about Chicago and, and how people perceive Chicago, how people think about Chicago. But there's this incredible kind of resonance. Um, I guess it's actually just with the um, the historical kind of like unpoetic. I think it's I'm assuming it's quoted from somewhere. Yeah, it has to be because she's got the page number there. But um, the temperatures fall and with it, the white heat of the riot. Um, and just this incredible resonance of of literally there's times a year where people say, I'm I'm glad that the weather was crappy this weekend, you know, yeah. just knowing um, that less violence or things could happen. Right. Um, you know, and, and yeah, this just brought up a lot of feelings for me and um, conversations I've had with my students. I think it's, it's, ugh, yeah. I am feeling stuff thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. We're a city with a reputation for violence. Right. Um, I think frequently unfairly reported on and unfairly portrayed violence, but it's there. And yeah, you do hear like, good thing it's cold or, you know, I'm glad it's raining or, you know, every 4th of July you hear stories of people using fireworks to cover up the sound of gunshots and things like that. And and the the white heat of the riot is such a heat from white people, but white heat is it, you know? Yeah. Um, um, I, I, everything I've seen on the event is like so devastatingly fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, the poem too, um, I think, I think, yeah, again, talking about conversations between poems and, and certainly I 
the the two poets are friends, but it reminds me, um, Hanif Abdurraqib has a, a series of poems called, um, what is it? How can, how can black people write about flowers in a time like this? Oh um, yeah. I think I've seen yeah. Right. Yeah. And like this, this, this like deep focus on, on kind of natural aspects, um, in light of the bigger conversation, um, of the, of the, of the collection, the historical event. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an intense book for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, I, and I'm like you, I, uh, let's see if I've lived in Chicago 14 years now, which is almost half my life. And, um, wow. yeah, I learned about the 1919 incident when e-viewing announced this book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how, how it hadn't come across my radar, but I think a lot of black history is like that. Um, like reference everyone who watched Watchmen was like, wait, they firebombed Tulsa. Right. Right. <laughs> right. No, I, I was gonna say, I, I just had that moment where I realized I'm nodding with you, but the, you know, theoretical audience cannot hear my <laughs> nods, but I, but I absolutely agree. Just like as a white person growing up in America, there are like major events, you know, like despite bullshit calls of, you know, of like what is black history month about, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah you know, um, yeah, there are these major things where it's just like, I feel like I'm, yeah, I feel so stupid, right. <laughs> I feel so ignorant for having just no reference point to and hearing about them, you know, in my twenties, thirties now, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, well, yeah. you feel stupid and you feel just mad at your school curriculum. <laughs> like, you know, we, we, every black history month we would talk about in my majority white Tennessee suburb growing up, you know, we would talk about like George Washington Carver and Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass and be like, look at these great figures from history. And it's like, cool. I don't need to hear about George Washington Carver coming up with 200 ways to use the peanut again. You could just, you could, you could, you could tell me different stories. You could teach me different lessons, Um, but you know, that's all by design, the way that um, a lot of school curriculums are right. set up. I mean, yeah, I very much, I said this about um, Eve Ewing's first book, and certainly I would echo it for this one. It's one of those things where um, I, I hate kind of being on the other other side of my high school teaching career, um, unless who knows I go back. But it is one of those things where I saw this book and I was like, oh my God, why wasn't this there? Why didn't this exist in my classroom when I, oh, you yeah. know, absolutely had students that I wanted to show this to. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that this exists. Um, yeah. Um, For sure. and, and exactly too, it's just similar thing of, yeah, of, I have like this one article about the riots that um, I've used in my classes. I teach at community college now. Um, and I'd say most of my students have heard of, but yeah, it is one of those things where it's like, even still like just knowing that some of them haven't have no reference point. Right. Um, right. It's, it's something yeah Um, it feels like a good time to shout out a positive way chicago mitigates this with the uh, young chicago authors uh, that kevin koval he's on my mind because i just started reading his um a people's history of chicago book the other day gotcha Um, yeah very solid 20 pages in but yeah young chicago authors does a lot of good things to get high school kids like into the arts and into poetry and into music and much like the 
sparrows shaking off the rain and this go. poem uh yeah. you know chicago is nothing if not a city of resilience and, and just i i would say yeah with that of it's 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 i guess as someone who's had the inside kind of kind of inside outside perspective of lived here for a long time. I've moved away. I've moved back. Um, it's so amazing to hear how people talk about Chicago who have never been here or yeah. don't know. And then to like, see how many things are happening and how many people are working, um, yeah. with, with the programs like that or whatever. Um, yeah. Shout out to Chicago. Turns out Chicago over everything. As it turns out, <laughs> you may have heard Chicago over everything. Oh, oh my goodness. All right. So, the topic of the episode is the last poem you read in the decade. Okay. So, my question to you now, Bob, is build a starting five of your favorite players from the 2010s. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I can go first while you think. Yeah, you should definitely go first. Okay. Um, so I'm using center, forward, forward, guard, guard. Um, okay. Not necessarily like a two guard or a point guard right. or whatever. And these are just my favorite players. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily the best at their position because that's been done. At center, Joakim Noah, my second or third favorite bull of all time. The coolest dude. Own a jersey. Uh, power forward, Boris Diaw. Um, uh, got a lot of passing in my front court um, uh, and my favorite championship team from the uh, 2010s by the way is that uh, that Spurs team was that right. 2014 um, should have been 2013 too but whatever um, uh, small forward Kawhi just love Kawhi what it do baby um, <laughs> <laughs> shooting guard you're in a I can I can already hear you rolling your eyes, uh, Steph Curry, uh, just so fun, just so fun, um, and point guard, pretty tricky Ricky Rubio, <laughs> um, love that dude. Remember when he told Alexi's she's fed to change his face? It's awesome. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> Rubio, okay. Love Rubio. Okay. Um. I mean, the, the easy ones for me here um, is uh, would be Chris Paul and Blake Griffin because I the Lob City Clips. Um, I I know literally everyone who's not a Clippers fan disagrees with me on this, but like they were <laughs> such a joy to watch, um, and and maybe it had a lot to do with how many years of bad basketball I had invested into sure. uh, being a Clipper fan, um, but in, especially the first couple of years, Blake um, didn't have Chris Paul was unreal to watch him oh i believe um, it yeah and then uh when chris paul did get there um i really don't you know of someone who i i tried to watch regularly um i can't think of anyone else who played so under control you know like one of those things where it was like it was beautiful to watch chris paul play for sure he's so easy to make fun of but <laughs> you're not wrong about it like it's <laughs> He's really good at basketball. Uh, absolutely, I, I'm glad he's had a a, a slight like re up uh, kind of qualification. You know, people have talked more positively about him this year on the Thunder, right. um, and I appreciate right. that a, re, a slight reevaluation now that he well one that he was on a team that was expected to lose. Right. I'm getting off topic here. 
I think I've taken enough um, our mutual friends uh, dislike this guy enough. I'll throw Paul George in there. Um, sure. Most, literally mostly just like uh, his performance with the Pacers back-to-back years. They played the Heat in the playoffs, and he was like the only guy making anything happen on offense. Um, right. And was also ding up LeBron. And the Pacers, I believe, at least once took the Heat to Game 7 and like so gutsy. Yeah. Give me Paul George. Sure. All right, those are your forwards, and you've got a guard in the center. Um, I almost want to throw in Miles Turner there. Just for, uh, <laughs> was it with Indiana, man? Um, he was uh, the uh, the verticality all star. <laughs> the only playoffs in my Wait, life. Wait, are you talking about Roy Hibbert? I'm talking about Roy Hibbert. My mistake. Yes. <laughs> The ultimate stand there with your hands oh, up player. It, just, it was just incredible to watch the series where they kept talking about verticality. The verticality. <laughs> Roy Hibbert, put him on the team. <laughs> we got a whole series where they talked about nothing but verticality, and then two years later, the league figured him out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I say, uh, RIP, what a short career. What a short um, career. Uh, I I really this could be awful. Do I go in all Clippers, all Pacers team? Oh man! <laughs> um, you know it's a sad decade that I only had one bowl on my no, team. No, that does make it really sad. That's yeah. true. Uh, Lou Alding mean, would be my sixth man. Um, who do you think? Lou Alding is my sixth oh, man. That's fair. I I feel like there has to be someone that I'm missing, and I'm gonna be upset that I'm missing. Um, but I just because I was talking about Pacers, the next thing that came to my mind. Um, was Lance Stevenson on his fast breaks. It was just oh. a joy to watch. just absolutely fearless. If Especially since you have no room. idea what's going to happen at the end of the fast break. <laughs> um, and then the Clippers briefly had him on the team, and I was excited about it, and it did not go well. Um, I would also <laughs> I forgot him, about that. I would also throw Matt Barnes as a possibility in there. Mm. Um, uh, it was so close to the small forward that we needed, but he wasn't quite... Yeah, him uh, like three years prior to joining the Clips would have, <laughs> like if you, if you could have gotten that Matt Barnes on right. the Lob City Clips, right. that would have been a title team. Um, I will say, I, as I'm just like, I'm trying to, a decade is a long period of time and I'm trying to like picture players and teams and, and, and the decade is so kind of divided between the first half when the Heat were so good and the second half when the Warriors were so good. Right. Um, that it like just kind of dominates kind of my vision here. Um, I low key love Draymond. Uh, I hate me too, man. <laughs> Remember after the first championship when he was uh, like super drunk and that reporter was interviewing him and uh, he was like, "We're good, right? They suck, right?" <laughs> like he just like says a bunch of short statements and then says right. right afterwards that endeared me to him forever also the first time he made an all-star team uh tnt had like a special where um his mom facetimed him and told oh, him the right. news that he was an all-star yeah and that was really endearing too Love all that stuff for sure yeah um, nba moms are the best and moms in general perhaps and, well moms in general yeah good I'll throw out one one last, um, and mostly this is like reactionary um, because he's he's underappreciated right now, I think. Um, but uh, I, I saw Russell Westbrook live for the first time a couple months ago, 
And, and he's not as big as he used to be, and he still is incredible to watch. Yeah, so fast. Um, uh, so uh, as a, as a as a more of a Russ fan than a KD fan, let's throw him on my I don't sure. know, probably on top eight or top nine players. I've gone beyond the parameters of the question as I tend to. That's okay. We're <laughs> talking hoops, talking about books, talking about hoops. Um, yeah, Russ is. I love Russ, but um, he's one of those frustrating players where when it's like you have the same glaring issue year after year and everyone's like, in the case of Russ, it's like, hey, stop taking threes. (laughs) And then he just never does. It's like so frustrating. But then he did this year. This year. (laughs) Right. And he became the Rockets' best big man. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, so that was that was fun, um, but um, yeah, those early days of Russ, I really was, was into him. Yeah. Um, the the real mashup of our interests here um, that I, I I I would like to think I would have mentioned to you, but I'm not sure. Um, as as I've probably I've certainly rambled to you before. I don't know if I've rambled it while we were been chatting, um, but my my certainly my favorite contemporary poet um, is Ross Gay. And mm-hmm. I knew he was working on this project. I didn't know that it was a book-length project, um, but they they announced the publication date, and I think it's in the fall. His next collection is a book-length poem about Dr. J. Oh, man. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> man. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. I want to read that uh, back-to-back with Breaks of the Game. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a podcast series. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Um, oh my. All right. Well, I think that's an episode. I think that's. I think that's uh, through the things we were supposed to cover. Yeah, we get it. Uh, Who knows how it sounds? We get it. <laughs> we'll Which is that? Who knows how it sounds? But we'll Who see. Who knows how it sounds? <laughs> um, definitely, definitely heard a baby in the background for a little yeah. bit there, but uh, he's fine. He's still alive. All right. So until next time, we don't have a sign off. I was was just going to say, we don't have a sign off. Something about uh, the lines broke. (laughs) The lines broke. (laughs) Until next time, keep reading books, keep reading poems. This is rough. It's bad. We'll figure it out. We won't. <laughs>